welcome to Dev Policy Talks, coming to you from the Development Policy Centre at the Australian National University. In last year's budget and over the course of the year, the Australian government increased aid by an estimated 6.3% after inflation. But next year's aid budget wipes away most of that increase, with a 4.9% cut to aid. In this webinar recorded the morning after the Australian Federal Budget announcement in May, you'll hear expert analysis on how aid fared in the 2021-22 budget and what it means for Australia, for the region and for the development sector. This ninth annual Dev Policy Aid Budget Breakfast is presented by Professor Stephen Howes, Director of the Development Policy Centre. All right, well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to our 2021 aid budget briefing. It used to be an aid budget breakfast, and now it's become a briefing. So welcome, everyone. Uh, my name is Stephen Howes, and I'm the Director of the Development Policy Centre uh, here at the ANU. I'd like to start by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which the Australian National University sits, the Ngunnawal people, and pay my respects to their elders past and present. Uh, so this is the um, time of year in which uh, at our centre we do have a uh, annual fundraising appeal. Uh, so if you value our work, if you like reading our blog or if you find this kind of budget analysis useful, uh, please do support us. Thank you to everyone who already uh, has is or has been a donor over the years. We do need that independent funding uh, to keep going. Um, and if you'd like to support us, uh, the link is on the slides. You'll see that in a minute. And because it's through the Australian National University, it is tax deductible. Let's get going on the uh, on this briefing. I want to, although I'll be presenting it, uh, I do want to thank my colleagues uh, at the centre. It is a team effort uh, to bring this briefing to you. And I especially want to thank uh, Sherman, Sherman Surandaran, who um, yeah, worked uh, long and late last night to do a lot of the graphs and also to update our aid tracker, which has now been updated with the latest information. I, I know a lot of you will have questions about some of the detailed uh, allocations in the budget. Uh, that we may not have answers to. Uh, it is only a four-page uh, aid summary that we're provided with now. So I'm sorry if I can't answer all the questions uh, that you have. We'll do our best. I guess the aim of this uh, briefing is to uh, provide an update, but also to provide context. And we try and share our analysis, not only the budget, but also of any kind of recent information that's, that's that related that's come out. Uh, the last one we had was just in October. And I'm not going to repeat some of the information there, especially on the broader. Last time we talked about the debt relief, which is, of course, a key topic in this COVID era, but um, I didn't feel there was much need to repeat that. So we're focusing uh, this time in particular uh, on aid. We try and provide a critique, but also the context. You can make up your own mind and you can go and look at the numbers for yourself on the aid tracker. Let's get started now. I'm going to um, share the PowerPoint that we prepared. Yeah, and there's the link uh, below. If you are able to support us, that'd be terrific. All right, so actually, um, you know, I set up, because uh, you're always thinking, like, what am I actually going to talk about? <laughs> so uh, before the budget, I set out these three tests, three questions, and I'm going to start with those. 
Then we're going to provide the broader budget context within which the aid uh, budget was, uh, you know, has to be understood. Then some more specific aid updates, and then more specific still uh, looking at um, aid and COVID-19. And finally, uh, looking at our aid in a global context, because the OECD has actually just released its latest aid data, so we can do some interesting comparisons. So I set out these three uh, questions or tests uh, for the aid budget. And the first is whether uh, the, the aid summary would actually provide estimates uh, of total ODA. You know, that's a very basic uh, criterion, and you think obviously it would, but in fact, uh, it didn't. And, you know, I put this up as a question because it happened last year. Uh, last year, the uh, aid summary presented a total, and then it presented a uh, sort of a, another temporary measure, and you had to add the two together. And uh, same approach was taken this year. Uh, there was some progress in that at least the temporary measures were broken down into the annual amount, so you, it was easier to uh, add them together. Um, but there's still no attempt to actually provide the total number, although there is a number called the total Australian aid. It's not actually the total Australian aid. It's the total aid excluding those temporary measures that you have to add in. So it's quite a bizarre situation. It's obviously there for political reasons. The government doesn't want to focus on the fact that it has increased aid above $4 billion, and DFAT is going along with that. And while you can work it out together, it does have a cost. So, for example, uh, we can't really provide country information on ODA allocations because that supplementary, which is about 10%, is excluded from the country ODA estimates. And I think also there's a cost uh, just to, to DFAT's credibility as the manager of the aid program. Second question, and from now on, I am just going to add those two amounts together. You know, we were thinking the second question was whether there be any further increases in aid next year. So next year being the budget year 21-22. Uh, and in fact, what we saw was uh, yeah, no further increases. There was one small initiative uh, for India uh, that was announced both for this year and the coming year. Uh, but in total terms, the budget's actually going to fall from the what's now the estimate, which is $4.48 billion which is this year's uh, aid estimate based on this year's budget plus a few subsequent announcements that were made. That's actually slightly higher uh, than we thought, about 4% higher, because the uh, vaccine spending is uh, more front-end loaded than government had earlier said. And, of course, that's a good thing to get the vaccine out. But it does mean more money this year means less money next year, absent any new initiatives, um, and the the uh, the economic response is also front end loaded. It's two hundred million this year, only one hundred million next year. So actually, you get this reduction. This is just in current prices. Uh, once you add in inflation, it's a five percent reduction. And then the third uh, question I posed was whether the aid increases uh, would be sustained over the forward estimates. And um, we were provided with forward estimates for ODA. Um, but the answer is they're not sustained. So even in nominal terms, you see a reduction in the forward estimates. And in real terms, uh, that would be uh, even more. Uh, I think it's a 12% reduction in real terms over the forward estimates. 
there is some uh, reintroduction of indexation in the outer years of the forward estimates on that, that base amount, the $4 billion, but the uh, temporary uh, measures uh, have all ceased by then. And so overall, uh, even though indexation is resumed, you get this reduction in, um, in total ODA. So just stepping back uh, from the just the sort of the budget period, looking at the A trajectory uh, under the coalition, uh, this again is just in current prices. Uh, you know, the, this is the the red one is the last Labor budget, and since then, a series of coalition budgets. And basically, what you see is you know the big cuts around 2015-16, and since then, aid sort of bumping along. Uh, at around the same level. You know, there was a pretty significant increase uh, this year, the 2021, uh, that's a 10% increase, but as you can see, it hasn't been sustained. And so when you step back, it looks more like noise uh, than any attempt to actually um, put the aid program on a positive trajectory. Then stepping back even further, you know, this is our full uh, data series from the aid tracker going right back to the 60s, and now, you know, over such a long period, we are adjusting for inflation, so everything is put in today's prices. And, yeah, you basically see the, the, the scale up under Howard and then um, Rudd-Gillard, so now in a period of kind of stability and then uh, a reduction. And you just, yeah, we've had a couple of bumps along the way, uh, but overall the, the trend is down. And when we adjust for GNI, you know, for the size of the economy, this is the, you know, the generosity index that is uh, used all around the world uh, and is kind of the official measure of the OECD. Um, yeah, we're on a, on a downward trend uh, briefly. There is a, you know, a brief uh, improvement uh, in the current year, but then it's uh, down and we actually estimate it falling to 0.18 over the forward estimates. You see these are slight, I'll come back to this at the end, these are slightly different to the numbers the OECD has because of a fiscal year, calendar year uh, difference, but it's, it's um, they're very small differences. All right, so that's, um, you know, I guess the, the answer to those three questions, it was um, none for three. So it was a disappointing budget night uh, from that regard. I'll just go on before I, see if there are any questions. I'll just talk a bit about the broader budget context uh, within which the aid budget sits, although, you know, the aid budget is a very small, it's less than 1% of the total budget, but I think the total budget context does matter. This is the underlying fiscal position or the deficit, the cash balance. Uh, you know, clearly we have gone into a large deficit, but it's actually, although you can't see it, it's actually smaller than was feared or projected uh, at the last budget. I think it was 210 billion dollar deficit, so it's only 160. Uh, so it's a much better position. And, you know, the government is projecting the deficit to fall, but it's not in a hurry to eliminate that deficit. Uh, so even uh, at the end of the forward estimates, there's still a, um, a pretty significant deficit. And when we break that down into revenue and cash, um, you know, you see why. I mean, expenditure does fall. Uh, compared to, uh, that is in 21-22 expenditure force compared to 2021 with the winding back of the various 
uh, support programs, but it doesn't fall back to its pre-COVID level of around 26% of GDP. Uh, government projects that falling uh, much more slowly. Uh, whether it will or not is an interesting question. You can see there was that step up in expenditure uh, at the time of the GFC uh, of about two percentage points, and it never really went back to the pre-GFC level. Uh, so whether you know this might be another permanent step up, you know, which needed to finance uh, things like aged care and other sort of pressing domestic needs, I think that's one uh, one scenario. Uh, but from an aid point of view, the sort of more relaxed spending environment uh, hasn't really helped. If we look at aid to total expenditure, you know, we see the that downward um, trajectory briefly interrupted by the scale up. But now, you know, aid is less than 0.8%. Uh, so again, you see a little blip in the uh, in the current year and actually next year because of the scaling back of the domestic support programs. But overall, it's on that uh, on that downward uh, trajectory. Uh, we always like to compare uh, aid and defence. I guess it's just an interesting comparison for how it's changed over time. And it's about in this budget, our estimates about ten percent. Uh, sorry, ten times exactly defence is. Uh, 10 times foreign aid, and it is on a uh, upward trajectory. So we expect that that multiple to increase uh, over the forward estimates. All right, I'll just uh, see if there, um, I'll just check for questions before I go on to the specifics. All right, Anthony Svee has a really good question, which is why the government sort of is focused on this $4 billion as the preferred amount. Is there something special about it? Yeah, that's a good question. Somehow it has assumed a special status. Um, they have, you know, in the outer years of the forward estimates, um, started indexing that again. So it's not as if it could never go above $4 billion, but they do want to see that. They, I think they want to present that as kind of a cap, uh, and they're just they're very keen um, to, to put, still very keen to portray any increases as temporary, any increases above that as temporary. But yeah, it is a it is an odd situation, and it does it does result in this um, these kind of bizarre contortions where you you can't actually say how much aid you're planning to spend. Okay, so some more uh, specific uh, specifics about how the uh, government is spending that money. I'll come to um, uh, spending the budget. I'll, I'll come to COVID nineteen a little bit later, but first. Just some broad updates about uh, geographical and sectoral trends to the extent that we're we're able to. Yeah, this is the uh, Pacific step up. So this is the share of the aid program going to the Pacific, and I've also included uh, Timor Leste in there since it uh, it is you know de facto sort of part of this a step up strategy. And yeah, you can see that is the major a major shift uh, in the last six, seven years, uh, the increase in the share, it's a, it's a massive change, about 25% to 40 to above 40%. There's a slight dip. I think the last, yeah, the last year is the current, is the budget year, 21-22, um, because that uh, 200 million uh, economic support in 2021 is being reduced to 100 million. So there's a slight dip, but overall you can see a massive shakeup uh, in the aid program with that hugely increased concentration on the Pacific region. 
And if you just look at that uh, year by year uh, in terms of uh, absolute funding, you can see all the other regions have gone down. East Asia has gone down. There's a, a slight recovery in East Asia because of COVID spending uh, and the new Southeast Asia initiative, uh, which is you know welcome and significant and, and at least a sign the government probably thinks it can't cut East Asia anymore. Um, see, the rest of the world has really been paying the price for the increase in the Pacific uh, and aid to Sub-Saharan Africa, Middle East, South Asia, uh, virtually eliminated. And then in terms of global programs, they've also had to be reduced to make way for this increased aid to the Pacific. But we did do this analysis uh, just to look at how the um, Pacific Step Up has been funded because remember, remembering that aggregate aid has been reduced. So if all the shares were equal, then aid to the Pacific would have been uh, reduced. So in fact, the increase in aid to the Pacific, right, although here it's shown as you know, like half a billion, in fact, it's more than that because it's, uh, it should have actually fallen right, if, if aid share was hold, held constant. So the actual increase in aid to the Pacific is about 750 million in today's prices. About 300 million of that is financed by cutting aid to sub-Saharan Africa. Another 300 million cutting by cutting aid to South Asia, and then another 100 million uh, cutting aid to the Middle East, and the rest is really quite small. That sort of the cuts to East Asia and to global programs, but it's mainly uh, reduced aid to sub-Saharan Africa and South Asia. Um, that we have used to, to channel that money into the Pacific. Uh, in terms of sectors, uh, there was no uh, sectoral information presented on budget night, uh, either for the coming budget year or even for this year. In fact, there were no uh, revised estimates uh, for this year, so we're still working on budget estimates even for the total, but there was nothing at the sectoral level. So this uh, sectoral uh, analysis is a bit out of date, but uh, I think is revealing. So these few graphs are presented as cuts. So the negative numbers are increases and the positive numbers are cuts. And so with the aid program uh, being cut uh, across the board, obviously most sectors have to fall and that's what you saw happening. Uh, that's what you see from this graph. Uh, with the exceptions being agriculture that was protected and infrastructure. So this is sort of the aid for trade emphasis that the aid program has had in recent years. Uh, interesting though, last year, uh, last year, so that's 2019-20, uh, you know, not surprisingly, we saw a massive increase in health spending, right? So everything else had to be cut to make way for this increase in health spending. So if we combine the earlier cuts with what happened in 2019-20. This is the overall picture. And you see, well, in fact, infrastructure hasn't, infrastructure and agriculture more or less uh, held constant. Uh, governance has been cut, but it's a massive sector. So proportionally, it's not a large cut. Uh, where the cuts have really been felt is education, which is uh, half a billion. So I think that that's, that is almost about half of the education. Spending has just been eliminated. Um, to finance the aggregate aid cuts. So health ends up being largely protected because it was cut, but then uh, restored again. And then resilience is the other sector. So resilience is uh, your uh, humanitarian funding, 
but also sort of environmental and climate change funding uh, had to be cut as well. And then there's this other uh, general category that's hard to say much about. So, yeah, the bottom line is that if you're thinking, like, where have these cuts uh, over the last uh, six or, or more years, uh, I guess it's now yeah, since, yeah, six, seven, eight years, where they come, where they've been concentrated, uh, it's really uh, education and resilience. I think is what I what I take away from all this. I just want to say something about humanitarian aid because that's something where um, that is included in the budget. So most sectoral information isn't, but there is information on humanitarian aid, and we could track this every year. And I just want to point out this dip. I mean, the government has a five hundred million target is in the white paper, and in fact, um, you know, aid is normally. Uh, around 500, uh, sorry, humanitarian aid. So this is aid for disaster relief mainly, uh, is normally around 500 uh, and above that if you adjust for inflation. So it wasn't really that demanding a target, but it has now fallen uh, well below that. Now, the government represents this slightly differently. They include this thing called the COVID response fund, which is 50 million. And so that gets you closer to the 500 million target although not actually to the target. So we've excluded that uh, from this. And the reason for that is that, you know, we're not denying that COVID is a crisis, right, or that it could be counted as humanitarian aid, but we want to look at whether, we, whether COVID is crowding out, you know, the traditional uh, humanitarian spending uh, on crises. And um, if you start including uh, COVID funding, then you're not going to be able to see that, whether you are getting that, that crowding out. And obviously, if you want to include COVID, you can include all of it, right? If it's a crisis, then all COVID spending uh, should, be, should be included. So it, it doesn't seem to us to make much sense just to take 50 million uh, and put it uh, under humanitarian. So we've excluded that. And excluding that, you can see that humanitarian aid is slipped well below this 500 million target. And what that says is just that the government is, you know, it is very difficult to respond to COVID without a bigger aid increase. And uh, the price is being paid in crowding out of funding uh, for what are, you know, what were really serious humanitarian crises before COVID and which are more serious now uh, because of COVID. And it's very notable, for example, that on budget night, uh, government was unable to show any response to the uh, African famine, uh, apart from restoring a 10 million uh, aid cut to the World Food Program. So I think this is a significant. Uh, finding. Uh, we always report on um, aid partners. Again, we don't have information for the current year or next year, but the um, actuals have been released for 2019-20. Uh, they don't show much of a change over the overall pattern, which is the shift um, since 2013 towards uh, both the multilaterals and the commercial contractors. So whereas those two between them were responsible for about 50% of delivery of the aid program, it's now two-thirds of the aid program. So that, again, I think is a, is a very major shift. All right, I'll come back to aid and talk specifically around COVID shortly, but we do um, we also keep an eye on NGO aid. Um, so I'm just going to include that right now at this point. Um, you know, this is based on ACFID 
uh, tracking of um, NGOs. It does include a couple of large development NGOs that are not in ACFID. Uh, it only goes to 2018-19, but you can see uh, this uh, decline in aid ever since 2014-15. Uh, this is in uh, in public donations to NGOs. So this is not all NGO revenue, but this is their, their support from the public. Uh, we don't have uh, aggregate data uh, beyond that, but we did look at some of the annual reports of the major NGOs, and we found seven have been published. So this is for 1920. Now uh, this is, um, you know, so this is only about 30%, I think, of the total uh, that they come to, but they do all show a reduction in donations in 2019-20, and um, you know they're all—they're not all the same, but uh, they're quite—you know—the average is 12%. And even some of the NGOs that had been growing, like the Global Development Group, had been showing rapid growth, um, are now showing a reduction. So clearly, uh, you know, we'd expect 2019-20 to show a further reduction in in public donations for development NGOs. I mean, that's not surprising just because of the disruption of last year. But I guess the question is whether that will be just a one-off fall and then donations will pick up again uh, or whether, you know, it'll, in fact, this will be the a, a new base uh, that um, NGOs will have to contend with. So I think that is a, a worrying trend that we just wanted to alert people to. Um, all right, the, the next section is specifically on uh, COVID-19. Uh, so before I get to that, there's a question, there are a few more questions. Uh, so Tess Newton Kane's asking about how aid's been reallocated. Yeah, there's no um, I, because we don't have those sectoral uh, estimates, uh, we don't have uh, specific information on uh, those reallocations. So, um, yeah, and I'll, I'm also going to come to that uh, a little bit later. So, but that's that's a good a good question. Yeah, Eric is asking whether the global spending includes um, funding for the Pacific. Uh, yeah, my understanding is if it if it can be allocated to the Pacific, then it is. But if it's um, global, um, like core funding, then it's not allocated. Um, so you're right; it is a somewhat artificial distinction. This, this one between the regions and the global, but it is the way it's presented. So it's the best data that we have for analysis. Uh, Lorenzo is asking about the World Food Program increase. And uh, yeah, we were only told it's a 10 million um, increase, which, or aid, I think, which is a reversal of last year's cut. Um, so it's hard to know what, I, I don't know what the, exactly that's for. And uh, Julian in the house asking about gender equality. Um, I'm going to come to the new initiatives. Um, there was not a lot on uh, gender or uh, climate change uh, or disability in the four-page budget. So I think it would be, there has been, of course, the very important announcement about the Pacific Women Lead, which is sort of a continuation of the Pacific Women Shaping Pacific Development Program. Uh, but I think it'd be hard to say there's uh, there were any major shifts uh, that I detected on budget night. Okay, so I'm going to go on now to look at specifically at COVID-19 and what were the new initiatives uh, that were uh, presented. Um, 
And these are initiatives that have been presented basically since the last budget. So the only new one uh, related to COVID-19, and in fact, possibly the only new one in the budget, was this response for India to assist with their humanitarian crisis. And that's uh, 37 million over two years uh, for India. The other initiatives mentioned here uh, have all been, uh, were announced either at the last budget night in October or uh, late last year. So there's the economic support package for Pacific and Timor-Leste, Timor-Leste, which is 300 million uh, in ODA, and that's over two years, that's 200 and 100. There's this vaccine access package for Pacific and Southeast Asia, that's 523 million over three years, and all of that is ODA. Uh, I mentioned the India response, and then there's the Southeast Asia um, enhanced partnerships announced last year by the Prime Minister uh, late last year. I think that's very significant because that is the first sort of major initiative uh, of support for Southeast Asia rather than the Pacific, and the reversal, uh, first reversal of cuts to Southeast Asia. And I think you know, that it's perhaps a sign of things to come. Um, it's 500 million over four years, not all of it's uh, ODA, and I'm still not sure uh, exactly uh, how much is ODA. Um, and, and it's not all implemented by DFAT, but the total amount is 500 million. It's, some of it's related to COVID, but I would say by no means all related to COVID. Some of it looks like fairly standard um, aid sort of projects are related to uh, infrastructure policy and planning, uh, for example. Uh, then there were other initiatives um, that were, uh, some of these are new, some have been announced uh, before. They're not ones that, uh, you know, reflect new money. They're, they're from the, they're ones that are highlighted out of that, out of the overall budget. So that they're not initiatives that have caused an increase in the aid budget. But there is support for the ASEAN Centre for Public Health, Emergencies and Emerging Diseases. That's 21 million over two years. The Partnerships for Social Protection, uh, that's been around for a while now, but that's 16 million. It's for the Pacific over four years. There's a quad vaccine partnership. So this is the, the quadrilateral grouping with uh, America, Japan and India, which is 100 million over two years. And then Australia is also supporting the vaccine response through provision of vaccines that we're manufacturing. And interestingly, that's not costed. So I guess that could have been put in the ODA budget, but the government's decided not to. So it's just, it's listing that it's something to, to bear in mind. So that's really um, sort of recap of budget, either new things in the budget or things that were highlighted in the budget. I just want to mention a couple of other uh, facets the, from some of our research, um, more critical. Uh, one is this interesting finding about how spending slowed uh, in the second half of last year. So when I, I'm talking then about the July to December uh, period of last year. So if we look at the uh, fiscal year, as I mentioned, there was actually an increase in aid, quite a significant increase, right, by 10%. But when we look at aid in a calendar year basis, and that's how the OECD reports aid. So we know Australia's aid on a calendar year basis by going to the OECD, we actually see that aid went down by 9%. So it's completely, they're both quite large and they're in completely opposite directions. 
and it's quite it seems quite paradoxical. But the OECD does give an explanation uh, for this, which obviously comes from Australia, you know, because each country would explain uh, explain it themselves. And it does say this is due to slowed spending as a result of the pandemic. And I think that is uh, worth noting because it's, um, you know, on the one hand, you can say, well, it was a very difficult time. It was a time of disruption. It's not surprising that spending uh, slowed. Um, you know, a lot of uh, expatriate aid workers uh, had to leave the country. Aid projects couldn't be uh, delivered as planned. So it's um, not surprising and perhaps justifiable. On the other hand, um, you know, you could say, well, actually, this is a crisis. Uh, this is exactly when you do need aid money and when you should be getting aid money out the door. And Australia did uh, reallocate funds, for example, to budget support, and perhaps it could have done that a lot more, a lot more aggressively. Certainly when you look at other donors, you, you don't see uh, overall aid went up in 2020 compared to 2019. So it doesn't seem that other countries had this problem of slowed spending as a result of the pandemic. When you look at the numbers, it looks more like a problem uh, that was unique uh, to Australia. And I think that does go to the question of DFAT's aid management. You know, DFAT uh, and the government was quick to bring out a new aid strategy uh, in response to COVID, but perhaps that reflects uh, the DFAT strengths in the area of strategy development. Uh, whereas this uh, result on the ground speaks to weaknesses in DFAT around actual aid management and aid implementation. So I think this is a very significant result, and I hope there's you know, more public discussion of why we were actually forced to slow aid spending just when it was needed uh, as this crisis was unfolding. And the second um, little piece of information you know we wanted to alert you to is something called uh, act a which is the um uh, which is an acronym <laughs> uh that uh, escapes me right now but it's it's referred to as the accelerator and it's the uh sort of global facility uh by which uh donations uh, or contributions to the global uh covid-19 response are, are tracked. Uh, and it includes uh, governments, um, both from uh, developed and developing countries, but it also actually includes uh, foundations um, or companies. Anyone can donate uh, to this. And so far, the amount that's been raised is uh, $12.3 billion. Uh, but the contribution, that's in uh, US dollars. Sorry, I should have mentioned that. But the contribution of Australia is uh, 0.6 which is about 70 US million dollars. And that uh, corresponds to our COVAX contribution for vaccines, which I think is about 80 or 90 uh, million. So it's a very small uh, response and surprisingly small when you think about the 500 million that Australia has allocated uh, for uh, COVID vaccines. And it just speaks to the fact that we are, well, it speaks to two facts. One, that we're basically going it alone. We're taking a very bilateral response and working directly with countries in the region rather than going through global facilities uh, such as COVAX or working with um, you know, organisations such as Gavi and uh, Global Fund. Uh, and 
So it speaks to that bilateral response, but it also speaks to the basically the very small response uh, that we've had so far to COVID. The, the, the just the very limited amount of additional aid that we've made available. When you compare uh, what some other donors are putting on the table, uh, Australia's amount uh, does look very uh, tiny indeed. We've always been a regional donor, uh, but we've always taken a two-track approach. So we do we do still provide significant core funding contributions for multilaterals, you know, such as the World Bank, Global Fund and Gavi, and you wonder why it would be any different here. You know, normally our response would definitely be in the around the 1% to 2% range, uh, not the 0.6%. So I think this, this graph speaks to uh, Australia's limited response and also speaks to the pressure that Australia will come under uh, in the coming months as an economy that is doing relatively well in response to COVID. And as, for example, Australia gets uh, invited to the G7 and sits at the G7 table, I think these um, th this kind of comparison is going to be drawn, and Australia will come under a lot of pressure to contribute more to the to the global effort um, against COVID nineteen. Um, all right. Well, look, I'll just finish off, and then I'll um, uh, go back to any more questions. Uh, I just want to wrap up with. Um, the, the OECD data that got released last month. Uh, we did put out a blog on this on Monday, but in case you missed it, it does point a fairly uh, depressing story of how uh, Australia's aid effort has collapsed, relatively speaking. And the point I want to make, uh, focus on, is that our share of the global effort, we used to contribute 3.7%. We're now down at 1.6%. So it has more than halved. I think, you know, there's been a lot of talk about um, the end of aid and aid's no longer relevant, but that is very much an Australian view. In fact, worldwide, uh, aid has contrib contributed to increase and it's increased uh, since 2011 by about the same amount that aid in Australia uh, has fallen. So we are sort of going it alone in our aid cuts. It's not, we're not reflecting some, some broader trend. And in fact, of all the uh, DAC donors, uh, our aid shows the biggest uh, absolute uh, decline. And in, uh, if you look at in percentage terms, uh, we've cut aid the most out of all the DAC donors with uh, significant aid programs over this period. And if you look at other um, countries that are cutting aid, uh, that have cut aid by a similar amount, you know, the only other ones you find are the crisis countries of Europe, Portugal, Greece and Spain, and they've obviously been in a very difficult position ever since the global financial crisis. But there we are along with them. And once you get beyond the crisis countries, you know, there are only a few countries of cut aid and it's by, by much less. So we do really stand out. All right, well, just to wrap it up, I think the last budget that we discussed in October and the subsequent announcements, they were step forward. They were definitely steps forward despite the transparency uh, concerns around how they were, they were reported, uh, it was a 10% increase. Uh, but now with this budget, we've gone backwards again, uh, in my view. But there is a hope for uh, further announcements. I mean, I think we can have some hope that there will be uh, further announcements in the course of the year. I don't think this budget will be the last word as um, you know the COVID situation uh, continues to evolve and not necessarily uh, improve um, at, a, at a global and regional level. And as uh, Australia comes under more pressure, I think both regionally uh, and globally uh, to do more. So I think we shouldn't 
see this budget uh, as, as the last word on Australia's uh, response during this global pandemic. So thank you very much, everyone. Do uh, check out our aid tracker, which we have now updated with the latest uh, global and Australian aid data. And please do uh, get back to us with any comments you have uh, so that we can improve it further. Uh, that's it for the presentation. I know there are some more uh, questions. Um, I'm sure a lot of these I'm not going to be able to answer, uh, but I'll do my best. Yeah, Joe Knight's asking whether the increase in climate fund is a return to the green climate fund, and I don't think there's any evidence of that. And, in fact, I wouldn't say there was an increase in climate spending announced in this budget, but I guess there have been uh, announcements through the year. Um, but I'm sorry, I can't. Yeah, I, has, I, I haven't heard anything about us rejoining the Green Climate Fund. If I'd be interested, anyone else has. Uh, Dane Moore from World Vision is asking. That's right. Yeah. So I think uh, I agree with you, Dane, that it may be the government is um, planning to make further announcements during the year, as it did last year, uh, perhaps in the run-up to the G7 meeting that it's been invited to. I think certainly that's, you know, we have to hope that and have to keep working on that. Uh, Schober is saying, what would be my vision for aid if this miracle increases and if there is an increase in aid? I think, um, you know, I, I think aid will increase again because, you know, that it is a very Australian view to think that um, aid is on this, um, inevitably on a downward trajectory. When we look around the world, we see quite a different um, a story. And those countries that have cut aid, you know, for example, the UK has cut aid, but it's still hitting the 0.7 target. So, um, yeah, I don't see this as a, um, a permanent situation. And um, I do, I do, it's a, if we, if we look over time at the Australian aid budget, it's waxed and waned a lot. And I think it'd be a mistake to think that we're um, going to keep seeing the aid budget only being cut. Uh, it's a question on the uh, intellectual property wave of COVID vaccines, which is a very interesting question, but I, I'm not sure what the Australian government position is, so I can't answer that. Uh, Marion Stanton's asking whether this includes the contributions to Gavi and COVAX. So it includes contribution to COVAX. That's this, this, this um, ACT A, the accelerator tracker. Um, it includes all contributions that are specifically COVID-related. Yeah, well, I can answer this question, which is about the UK and um, the, um, yeah, I think the UK, um, because it was in the UK budget cuts there in 2020, uh, that is included in the, uh, in that OECD analysis. And yeah, the UK, I mean, it's just, it's aid is so far above Australia's in absolute and um, relative terms that those aid cuts don't affect uh, Australia's position. Uh, I mean, Australia is basically the number. Yeah, Australia is down the bottom of the of the pack. We're right down the bottom. You know, in fact, according to the OECD, you know, we're already in that 0.2% club, which uh, only includes the US, which is of course the biggest donor. But the US is, I think, a special case. Um, but apart from that, I think it's Portugal, and then it's all the new donors. You know, who have just recently started up their their aid programs. Yeah, definitely. The slides will be put up online today. We'll um, let you know about that. Uh, Amy is asking about reduced aid transparency and what are the implications. 
yeah, there is uh, there is reduced aid transparency. I think it's um, it's good that the the DFAT still have a, a budget briefing. That's that's great, and it's it's good they provide forward estimates um, on on aid. So there are still some uh, strengths uh, in in the uh, DFAT system, but definitely this uh, shift to not prevent, preventing an aid total, I think is really unfortunate, and it does cascade down, as I said, to the to the country, uh, to the country level. Someone's asking about other government departments. Yeah, I didn't mention that, but that is, I think, it's basically unchanged uh, across the two. Um, budgets. Um, I didn't notice any big change in other government departments. So, yeah, in fact, it's um, it goes down slightly from three twenty six this year to three one seven uh, next year. So I think that was not. Uh, yeah, overall, there were. I think you could say there was not a lot of um, change in this budget compared to the previous budget and the and the announcements made at the end of last year. Perhaps that's, you know, there just wasn't enough time and perhaps it will come out through later announcements. Yes, on that point, I mean, Murray has a, a good point that is, there are three international events where Australia will be pressed to do more, G20, G7, and a European vaccine pledging meeting, which was launched by the USA. Are there any amounts in Australia's budget global allocations that might be hiding undeclared contribution to the ACTA? Uh, I don't think so, uh, Murray, no because we don't see, um, yeah, I just don't see the, the sort of the, the space for that in the, in the budget, um, but there's nothing to stop the government um, making announcements and adding it into the aid program uh, as it goes. And perhaps that suits the government better in this mode that it, you know, really wants to make it clear that these, um, uh, these announcements are, or these new initiatives are temporary. A temporary ones. Yeah, I'll go to Janet Hunt and then actually someone's raised their hand. Be good. Let's get a live question. But Janet's asked, was there any rationale for the big cut to the education sector? Uh, I don't think so. No, I think just something had to give. And first of all, it was health and education had to give to uh, finance the uh, aid for trade focus. But then, you know, there had to be a very rapid uh, reversal on the health front with the pandemic. And to, to its credit, the government did set up the uh, health security centre. So, you know, I think it, it had already started to reverse those health cuts to some extent before the COVID pandemic, but then with the pandemic had to have a big reversal. And so that just left education as um, the, the main sector bearing the cuts. But, yeah, it, I will highlight there were also those cuts in, to resilience and to a smaller extent to governance. So, yeah, in a shrinking aid budget, if you want to put a focus on something, you've definitely got to make some big cuts in other areas. Yeah, Dan, did you want to ask a question? Okay, Stephen, can you hear me? Yeah. Okay, my question is, what are the top two or three things you think the opposition would do if they were in power related to the aid budget? Right. Um, well, I mean, last election, the uh, opposition went in with a um, promise to increase aid, um, but they lost the election <laughs> and uh, we know they're rethinking their policies. So whether they'll actually have that kind of policy, uh, at least at a quantified, um, in a quantified way, uh, remains to be seen. So I think, uh, I think we can't really 
um, answer that question yet. I'd say Labor has been very quiet on foreign aid uh, since the since the election. Yeah, Richard. Was there any implication for uh, labour mobility initiatives in in the budget, the aid budget? Um, I not I didn't focus on that to be honest. So not that I'm aware of, but it could well be that I'm uh, that I've mixed it that I, that I would um, just missed that. Okay. I'll just go to uh, Fiona Ryan. She'd asked about the grant loan mix. So actually the Australian aid program is all grants and um, there have been these significant loans to um, PNG and Indonesia uh, in the last year. And um, they're at, because interest rates are so low, uh, they are very cheap. Um, and they're both quite significant, I think over a billion dollars. So I think that's also, um, that is very significant uh, as a, a non-aid response. Um, to uh, COVID-19 crisis. Uh, and again, we you'd probably expect there to be more, um, more aid, uh, sorry, more loans uh, required uh, in the future, definitely for PNG, but I think quite possibly for uh, Indonesia. Um, and Greg Earl is asking about the, uh, the quad response. Yeah, my understanding is that is part of that 523 million, Greg. So I think you're right there. I don't know if there's others uh, on live, but I can just keep going with a few of these questions. Carl is asking about the 200 million program being fully delivered. Yeah, that's a really good question, Carl. And, um, you know, because we we only have budget estimates for the current year, so that's all we can say is that the, the budget is there, but you're quite right. Like it could be that the um, uh, it's going to be delayed and pushed into next year in which case next year's aid uh, might go up a bit. So, yeah, it's un- we, that, that should be borne in mind that the even though this budget year is almost over, those estimates for this year are still based on, they're still budget estimates. They're not, they're not revised estimates. Uh, Fiona Tarpe is asking whether the cuts to education are mainly on scholarships. Or other parts of education, yeah, they're uh, across the board. I think scholarships have been cut, but it's by no means just scholarships. This is basic um, education funding uh, that has been cut. There's a question from Lorenza. Oh, sorry, Lorenza Lazat has raised a hand, so perhaps we'll go to Lorenza. Hi. Um, sorry, I, I raised it and I lowered it. Um, but just a quick question. Uh, the point um, about the NGO volunteer and community programs has has there been any cut there again? Uh, no, so that's yeah. I think Ackford will be all over that, but my understanding is no, that's all been kept at the same level. So yeah, no cuts for the NGOs. Uh, Sarah Carter's making a good point here that um, she says the Labor Party did agree at the special conference platform on the 30th of March. It would again commit to increasing aid, but did not specify how much or what the targets were. Yeah, so thanks. That's a good clarification. And it will be interesting to see whether they do uh, whether they do that. Yeah, Amanda Watson saying that was there, that we only get four pages now. Was there more in the past? Yeah, there was definitely more in the past. And um, I mean, a lot of it was. Um, 
just kind of, um, I guess, glossy uh, PR. But there, there were some interesting uh, facts and figures in there. So um, you hope as the uh, aid program moves on that we go back to more budget documentation. Uh, there is, you know, you can sympathise that in this uh, the very, very difficult situation they have had to cut back on some of their uh, transparency, you know, and it's understandable that not all the information can be presented. It is a very fast-moving environment, difficult environment, but uh, I hope going forward some of that other information can be uh, restored. Uh, James Rock is asking about f spending. Yeah, so we have spending up to 2019-20. Uh, That's been released by DFAT, but beyond that, it's only budget information. And in terms of outcomes, yeah, of course, um, you know, that's critical. That's what it's all about. It's not what this presentation is about. We do this every year on the budget. Uh, but we do, um, you know, try and um, analyse aid effectiveness uh, through the year, uh, through different research projects and blogs. So I certainly agree with you. You can't only focus on the numbers. You have to look at how that money is being spent. But I guess... Um, for today's presentation, it is about it is about the numbers. So, yeah, maybe I'll just. I think we're going to run out of time. I can't answer uh, all the questions, I'm afraid. Uh, but I'll. Kishti is asking about spending on vaccines, and um, yeah, there is uh, information on spending on uh, vaccines uh, in the Pacific, and. Um, I think, it, it, but it's not in the budget actually. Um, it, it's, uh, yeah, I think it's a, around 70 million uh, next year. Um, yeah, so regional information on these special initiatives is, is limited. But the main initiative across Pacific and South Asia is this 523 million uh, initiative, right? Uh, and then in addition to that, there's the COVAX contribution which is about, I think, 90 million now. Uh, so those are the two big uh, vaccine initiatives uh, that are contained uh, in the budget. Uh, Is Ismo's asking about international data on public donations to NGOs. Yeah, that's a good question. And I imagine it was disrupted in all countries. So I'm sure it's not just in Australia that public donations have gone down. And I do want to stress it's a... Um, you know, it could just be a disruption, a one-off blip, and, and we'll see a recovery uh, next year, but it's certainly it's something to, it's worrying, something to, to watch out for. Maybe I'll just finish uh, on, uh, on two more questions, two last questions. One is about uh, from Lian Pham about China-Australia tensions. Yeah, I think that is uh, critical to understanding um, the, uh, what the Pacific step-up that is very much driven by geopolitical competition with China. And also, if we look at the uh, increase to Southeast Asia, right, Australia had been cutting aid to Southeast Asia uh, to fund the Pacific Step Up, but it reversed that with the announcement, I think, in December of last year. And although it was said that was related to COVID, a large part of that announcement really has nothing to do with COVID. It's more traditional aid and support. And so I think that is the realisation that, yeah, the strategic competition, um, you know, we, we can't only focus on the Pacific. We need to also work more in Southeast Asia. And so that, you know, can distort aid priorities. 
on the other hand, it can provide a basis for aid increases. So it's but I put it in the category of mixed blessing. And I'll just end with uh, Dane's uh, point about the A Act A, the accelerator, and we're at 0.6%. What would be Australia's uh, fair share? Um, yeah, that's a good question, and I think we'll um, do some work on that, Dane. Uh, but, you know, from what I remember with, um, you know, you, you look at it like a, another multilateral, right, like our contribution to the World Bank or in general to Gavi, and I think it's normally, uh, or our share in the global aid effort, and it's normally closer to 2%, uh, certainly more than more than 1%. So it would be a much larger amount than the current uh, 06 all right, well, we are uh, out of time uh, today. Sorry if I haven't uh, got to everyone's question, um, but do feel free to email me and um, happy to continue the discussion that way. Uh, hope you found this useful. And um, as I said, uh, we do uh, need your support to continue. So do think about making a tax deductible donation to the Development Policy Center. Uh, but otherwise, thanks for taking part and have a great day. You have been listening to a podcast from the Development Policy Centre at the Australian National University. To find out more about Dev Policy and our work on Australian aid, PNG in the Pacific and global development policy, visit our website devpolicy.anu.edu.au or check out our blog at devpolicy.org where you can subscribe to our daily posts, various newsletters and this podcast. You can also connect with us on social media. If you have enjoyed this podcast, you can support us at devpolicy.org forward slash donate. Thanks for listening.